You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecutors too author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. So good to have you with us. It's uh, It's been some time uh, that we have uh, gotten together and talked about ministry in depth. And um, let's uh, let, let the audience uh, hear directly from you. We have known each other for some time, and I, I love our partnership in New York City, I love our ministry overseas. I love our friendship. Um, and uh, I just want to uh, give you a chance to share with uh, our uh, audience about you, your ministry. And uh, let's start with uh, your introduction. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay, great. Thanks for having me. I'm Pastor Jerry. My family is originally from Korea, and I was born here in Brooklyn, New York. Where I grew up. I currently serve as the missions pastor for Brooklyn Tabernacle, uh, a very large multicultural congregation here in Brooklyn, New York. I also serve, or I founded, and serve as president of a nonprofit called World Compassion Fellowship. And I wear both of these hats uh, in different ministry contexts. I originally uh, was not interested in ministry. Uh, I graduated with an electrical engineering degree and I ended up in computer programming, working on Wall Street. And the Lord took me on an interesting journey to where he opened up my heart to the persecuted church. And that then led me to see the whole world, including the unreached and just missions in general. And from there, began the missions ministry at the church about 20 years or so ago. Uh, continued to work on Wall Street, um, but slowly but surely continued to do more, more ministry. Eventually moved out of full-time uh, work on Wall Street and then worked flex time for a period of time, but then concentrated more on the ministry as well as my nonprofit work. And yeah. So um, as I hear you, it's so interesting because um, my journey is um, somewhere similar, um, minus Wall Street and uh, a couple of other things. Um, so yeah, same thing with me, never wanted to be in ministry. Uh, Dad was a pastor, um, but God brought me in ministry uh, and uh, same thing, computer background, um, love for the persecuted church and uh, working um, uh, in New York, as well as uh, overseas uh, serving the brethren. Um, so for me, it's so easy to understand why a person is involved in so many things. A person who has a uh, um, uh, Wall Street background and uh, has, uh, uh, um, you know, 
ministry right here with one of the largest churches in New York City. And then he's also founding a new, um, uh, founded a, a nonprofit to serve uh, um, uh, God's people around the world. So I understand because in many ways I have done the same thing, but most people, most people in the United States, when it comes to pastors or missionaries, they are not multi-focused. They don't do so many different things. They focus on one thing, specialize in one thing. That's one thing they pursue and that's it. And often I hear from uh, uh, folks that that's like too many distractions. How do you, so my question would be one, help us, uh, the um, audience understand how you manage your uh, time, energy, calling. And uh, if somebody's hearing today and they're like, yeah, man, I, I, yeah, I was thinking about same stuff, but I'm a pastor. I, I, I can't, I can't pastor a church and do missions work around the world or start an organization. Help us to kind of like, uh, with that framework, what it takes to get to that point where you are able to do all these things through the power of the Holy Spirit, but in a way that uh, glorify God, but also justifies uh, um, your time in those ministry, but at the same time has excellency because I know your work. So we'll talk about your work in a minute, but let's start with this this uh, piece, how to manage our time, how to have that balance and excellency. Well, it, it didn't start out that way for sure. Um, when I first started to work, all I was interested in was my career, becoming the next Bill Gates and advancing in that way. And I had honestly no interest in ministry. I had just started to attend the church, Brooklyn Tabernacle. So I was wearing my church hat on Sunday, but Monday through Friday, I was um, doing my thing and trying to build my career. But over time, um, my parents had actually uh, gone into full-time ministry very late in their lives. And they went to the Philippines and then to India and I was actually the anti-missionary because I was fighting them a lot, not wanting them to be out there when they were so old and their health wasn't so good. Um, but the Lord used my now wife to kind of, first of all, wake me up spiritually. Like, where are you? You know, I had to have a conversation with the Lord where he was basically saying, you know, we were once close. When I got saved in high school, I was very fervent for the Lord. But my career uh, slowly um, took over uh, my focus. And it was like a reminder, like we once were close and we once had a great relationship. And that began a journey for me to become interested in um, just serving the Lord. And then um, I then read a Voice of the Martyrs newsletter. My brother had tried to send me for a year and I just left sitting there. And I was suddenly thunderstruck by the situation in the persecuted church. I had no idea. That then led me to reading Richard Wormbrand's biography, Torture for Christ. And then that, again, it just completely turned my whole view on ministry upside down. I began writing to our senior pastor, uh, Pastor Simbola, 
about my heart conditions, but I, I really didn't know what to do with it. And honestly, they didn't either. And I knew we had a couple of missionaries out, but our focus had always been inner city as a church. Uh, but I, I slowly grew more and more interested in what was happening outside and um, began to do video mission videos for the church. And we would dedicate one of our Tuesday night prayer meetings every month to show a video about the nations. Um, the very first country that the Lord spoke to me on was the Sudan. So we did a very short, simple video on the Sudan, showed that, and just seeing thousands of people praying for this country. When I used to just pray with my wife alone, it, it just really struck me like, wow, this is really, this is amazing how we're now able to start praying uh, collectively as a church for these countries. We were praying for Iran, China, the Middle East, and so forth. And as this was happening, um, I then began to uh, pray about going. So, you know, in the beginning, it was giving, and I was thankful for my job, and I was able to start giving in a, in a much more substantial way and a focused way when it came to missions. Uh, but then trying to activate people to pray and then became the missions director at the church. Um, also, that was something I was not seeking. It just kind of happened. Um, began to communicate with our missionaries. We got to learn who they are and our missionaries in the Middle East. They actually discipled my wife and I from afar. And um, I began to feel like I, I want to now go out. So I gave, I prayed, now I wanted to go. And um, at that time, I was consulting uh, for some of the major financial firms in the city, but I was consulting. So I felt like I didn't have control over my time. So then I thought, and this might seem counterintuitive, but I thought, you know what, maybe I better become a full-time employee so that I had more control of my time that I could have um, uh, use my vacation time and other things like that. And so I did that. I, I began to do a shift in my career and I actually went to another firm and I told them uh, that I just want to make it clear that I've begun taking these trips. I started to organize ministry teams and even medical teams. And if I needed to bunch up some of my days, um, I would even do it unpaid if I had to, uh, that that was a condition for me to, to be a part of this firm and they agreed. So I did that for some time, but then even that was no longer enough. I felt like there's more and more to do. I ended up moving to another firm and uh, that time I was working on a trading floor and I would put up pictures of my trips, um, all the ministries that we were doing. And I was working with many Hindus, Muslims, Jewish people, atheists, Buddhists, et cetera. And it sparked a lot of great conversations. And um, some of them were interested in helping with the medical, the humanitarian, uh, but some weren't comfortable giving to a church. And that then sparked the idea that, you know, why don't I just form my own nonprofit? You know, with the church, I could buy the Bibles, but with my nonprofit, I could uh, do all the medical supplies and so forth. So I did that. It was around 2007. 
And the very first trip I took where I um, sponsored it through my nonprofit was to the Sudan. We went to the um, Khartoum area. We had hoped to go to the Darfur area. Um, the government ended up restricting us. So we ended up doing medical ministry in the refugee camps uh, in the Khartoum area. So that then began that, the uh, nonprofit. And even then, uh, it, things were starting to really grow rapidly and more and more people were coming on to our mission trips and uh, praying for missions. We started to meet monthly, started to train and raise up um, missionaries who were starting to go out. And I had always said, okay, first of all, my first ministry is my family. And then the second is um, the ministry work that I was doing and then the work itself. So I made the decision, the Lord made it clear in a whole different series of events and things that I need to step back from the seven to seven, the 12 hour work days on Wall Street, pull back and went into a flex time position where I was able to take time off, work from home and balance working as a tent maker but then started to do even more with ministry. And I had my nonprofit kind of working side to side by side, uh, became my non-church way to raise funds. Uh, a lot of my coworkers were giving towards it. Didn't really concentrate too much beyond that. Um, then a few years ago, uh, my, my firm I was working for died. And I knew that was the Lord. Now that opened up the door for me to now concentrate on my nonprofit work as well as my missions pastoral work. And those things now have continued to steadily grow. We've um, worked with and trained a couple of hundred people going out on short-term mission trips. And even now I have about 16 missionary families that have gone out. It started with three. And we, Brooklyn Time Act, well, we act basically as our own sending agency, although we do work with mission agencies uh, where we don't have a presence on the ground. But since many of our church members are from these countries, they got saved, discipled, and they're, they're basically going back to their home countries. Um, that made things a lot easier uh, in terms of cross-cultural training and, and uh, challenges. But in cases where people feel called, let's say to the Middle East and they're from Haiti, then we will work with a mission agency to do that. Uh, unless I have friends on the ground. So in Lebanon, I have a number of pastor friends, local pastor friends. So we were able to send a family to Lebanon where it was more church to church. We didn't actually use a mission agency in that case. So how important is it to have short-term missions program in a local congregation, uh, regardless of how large or small your congregation is? I'm just wondering how important this, this short-term missions program is. Yeah, that's a good question. There's now much more criticism against short-term mission trips, and some of it is very valid. Um, where they're more like, um, like uh, mission vacations, like, uh, what do they call it, vacationaries, uh, or they just come in, they do something, and it really has no help to the local ministry. 
So some of those criticisms are certainly valid. I think in my case, because I oversee all these ministries that are long-term, that are uh, run by locals, um, I can see both ends. I see the effects of short-term teams continually, and I see how they've been a tremendous blessing that can really greatly enhance the capacity of the local missionaries. So for example, doing medical missions for these ministries. Uh, it reaches hundreds and thousands of people that may never come to a church normally, uh, but they'll come to a medical clinic. And in the clinic, we share the gospel, we have a gospel, um, what I would call it a spiritual clinic, where the local ministry combined with some of our group prays with people, um, sometimes are able to share the gospel and then they get connected to the local ministry. So there can be a tremendous benefit uh, to the missionary themselves. That's what I'm always looking for. But then the secondary benefit is to uh, our teams. So almost every one of our recent missionaries, they have been veterans of our mission teams and they were touched, the Lord touched them and they were able to experience the mission field in a short-term way, which is certainly different than a long-term way, but it sparks the, the the desire for missions, and then they can start to see for themselves uh, what could happen, let's say, in their own home country. And um, kind of, quite a few different people that I can share their stories about, but that's uh, those short-term trips have been instrumental for raising up long-term workers in our experience. And you and you also mentioned that uh, your church, Brooklyn Tabernacle, acts as an, a, uh, an agency, a mission agency, in, in a sense that uh, I'm sure um, um, caring for the missionaries, uh, collecting funds and sending, advocating, all those things that a mission agency does. Now, the question that I have is uh, also one of those questions that in almost in every uh, missions um, or missionaries conferences we end up or, or we end up talking about is the role of agencies or parachurch ministries and the church in the mission field. So when you say Brooklyn Tabernacle acts as uh, an, a, a mission agency for their missionaries, what are you advocating and for what reasons? So ours may be a bit of a special case in that many of our church members who do end up becoming field workers are essentially just going back home. So they don't need the language training so much. They don't need the culture training. Um, they already have a built-in network at home. Um, for example, uh, a sister who went to the Philippines, she and her husband, who is Hispanic, actually, they served at Brooklyn Tabernacle in many different capacities and were deacons. Um, but they started going back to her hometown in the Philippines, and uh, she already had her family network already there. Um, many of them were not saved. There were, some were very staunch Catholics, but as they started going back, they were sharing the gospel and people were getting saved. And so she already has this whole network of people that she knows. She already knows the language and the culture. So 
there's all of these uh, structures that really were not necessary uh, in her case. Uh, same thing with uh, a lot of our other missionaries. So I think agencies do play a valuable role. Uh, perhaps it's shifting now. Um, I know that some agency friends, they have uh, lamented the fact that a lot of churches, they just send them their person and that's it. They just send money, a check, and then that's it. There's very little involvement with their church member. Uh, for me, I'm the reverse. We're very involved. Um, I don't send anyone out without going through a major vetting and training process. Um, and uh, once they get to the stage of actually working with the mission agency, uh, they've already kind of gone through our own process. So we've, I've had different candidates who ultimately dropped out. Um, and to me, that's a success. It means, okay, you're not called to go out. That's fine. Um, in my case, the process, if you will, worked, worked well. In other cases, they were better trained to go out to do and, and to serve. Um, so who helps to... Um, in this process of determining the call, because toward the end, you, I, I get your point when you said that uh, uh, some of these folks uh, dropped out, mm -hmm. right? So the part of that, I assume what you are communicating to me or our audience right now is that we may get folks, uh, church members who are uh, temporarily um, excited about missions, but they do not understand, they don't have the depth and uh, may fail ultimately when they are there. So it's better to weed them out now, help them to see whether this calling is from the Lord and they're gonna sustain that calling or is just emotional response to something or feeling or out of boredom, they are, they're fantasizing and romanticizing the idea of foreign uh, field. So I, I, I assume that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And if you are, then uh, help me with uh, um, give us a couple of steps or more than a couple of steps. What what do we need to do as uh, churches um, to help our uh, congregants to determine their calling in the area of uh, um, both whether they want to serve here or overseas? One, two. Is it different from mission organizations uh, when uh, a person co contacts uh, a mission agency? What have in your personal experience or what you have heard or spoken to people or uh, uh, read, have you come across uh, uh, something that differs from your approach? Is it there if, if there is something um, either the mission agencies are missing or is this, is there something that they are doing that you should be adopting? So give us a little bit, um, um, give us some more details in that end. Sure. So uh, just starting with the basics uh, from Acts 13, where it shows that uh, the Holy Spirit calls somebody um, but and then sends out that person. But then the next verse, uh, in the beginning of that chapter shows that the church sends out the person. So there's two sending agencies for a missionary. One is obviously the Holy Spirit, but number two is the church. So for example, I'll have somebody who said, oh, God spoke to me and he called me and I need to go to such and such a country, uh, had all these different dreams and so forth. Okay, that's 
that's great. Well, let's let the church confirm that. Find out that they've been attending the church for 15 years, never served in ministry, or they have served in ministry, but they're extremely um, challenging. Uh, they challenge authority. They are very lazy, disobedient, and so forth. So both of these agencies need to agree, if you will. So anyone that even wants to go on a short-term trip, some of my basic requirements is uh, you need to be faithful in the ministry that you're doing at your local uh, assembly before you go out. Because you know how, how do you expect to serve overseas if you're not even serving with your own local body, with your own local church? So that immediately um, uh, is the initial requirement. And then over time, let's say if somebody is interested in children's ministry, we, we've just had this happen before. They love children um, and they've been on a couple of trips with me. They served with children and they loved it. And um, sometimes I'll tell people, you know what? You know, you, you, you've been serving as an usher at the church. But I see the way you work with the youth. You're really amazing. The Lord's hand is on you. So I'll actually refer people when they come back uh, to these other ministries within the church. And then they start to serve there in their calling. Sometimes it's not for long-term missions and that's okay. You know, it's all part of the body of Christ. Uh, but going back to this other case. So um, this person was passionate about serving with children and she was great with children. I could see it with my own eyes. And then uh, talking with our senior pastor, about it, we then decided, well, she's never served in our own children's ministry, or she served just, just as a basic volunteer. Let's put her through a, a full mentoring program within our own children's ministry. And I warned our candidate, I said, I just to let you know, this isn't like, okay, you're, you're leaving for the field next month. This could take six months, it could take a year, uh, but we wanna make sure you're fully prepared uh, for what you're going out to serve with. So she agreed and then spoke with our children ministry leaders. I told them, you know, take this person on your wing, mentor them every part of the process of children's ministry from production to teaching to organization, et cetera, et cetera. So they did that. And it was like a year's process. Uh, we also had her serve in our youth ministry and Part of me is thinking, all right, this person may not survive, may not last, and that's okay. They may finally realize, oh, wait a minute, this isn't really for me. But in her case, it just added fuel to the fire. And so by the time she was ready to leave, um, it was very natural. It, it was almost obvious, if you will. And, um, and so that, that was a, a great blessing. Um, that's awesome. So let's switch uh, our conversation to um, from um, Brooklyn Tabernacle pastoral ministry here in the city and uh, um, raising uh, workers for the Lord and connecting uh, once you bring them back from global field uh, as short term mission missionaries back here and training all the all that would be just discussed. I want to switch that conversation to global. Uh, missions and uh, you founded this beautiful wonderful organization um, world compassion fellowship 
uh, and uh, um, for the sake of our audience, I just want to uh, give them your website. It's uh, wcfellowship.com. And you founded this organization. And when you go on the um, homepage of your uh, ministry, you see right away, you see the uh, what I consider as incarnational ministry or uh, in other circles we use that the the uh, phrase um, or the term is bam business as missions or uh, compassion ministry so there are different phrases we use which is basically you set up uh, um, relief centers or life centers and help the community become part of the community you benefit the community and uh, and as you do that you share the gospel because you of course um uh, you want to uh, be who you are and that 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 is that you are you are saved by the grace of Christ so you want to share that um i see uh, your medical um, efforts. I see your humanitarian efforts. I see life center. I see development, and I also see uh, where you are uh, as WCF in different uh, parts of the world. Um, now, with that, differentiate for me. Differentiate our uh, traditional approach to missions um, that has been for some time, and this this approach where you. You set up a organization, and uh, then you engaged in a um, on actually many different uh, ends. You engage in different. Uh, uh, you are engaged in different countries. Uh, some of those countries are very restricted countries. So first, help me to understand the difference between traditional mission and what you're doing. Uh, through WCF, as you founded that, there's got to be some vision and you shared part of that vision in the beginning. Two, uh, please share with us some of the uh, challenges and definitely because I'm as I receive those newsletters from you, I hear a lot of hope. I hear a lot of uh, good news in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this all what's going on in New in the United States, in New York is so amazing to hear what God's people are doing around the world and how people have uh, around the world have uh, a very different approach uh, to life uh, where uh, suffering and pain is expected and uh, all that. So just just start with the dif differentiating um, uh, aspect and then move into other uh, uh, items that I raised. Sure. So my my approach my my um, let's say my motto or whatever the phrase might be is that ministry to me is very holistic. Uh, we're ministering to the spiritual and the physical, and it's important not to separate the two. So you know Matthew chapter twenty eight, go into the nations, make disciples, uh, is obviously the, the core reason for what we do ministry for, but then also Matthew 25, which has been called the great compassion. Uh, I was thirsty, I was hungry, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison. Uh, these are important things for us to also address as well. The whole Jesus ministered to the spiritual, but also to the physical. And there are many, many other scriptures in James and so forth that talk about 
uh, ministering to the physical needs as well as to the spiritual needs. Um, it, it's it's not enough to say God bless you and um, I'll pray for you when I actually have the means to help people. And coming from the West, we are way over abundantly blessed materially. The vast majority of the majority world is not, and they're struggling and suffering. And um, this is a, an opportunity for us to be able to say, well, God, you've, you've given us much and you're going to require much. So uh, that's, that's been one of my driving forces. And um, another thought is the giving someone a fish is very important. Uh, we faced starvation. We faced some tremendously uh, horrific situations worldwide, including most recently in the pandemic. Um, we've been able to provide food and hygiene care packages to literally 130,000 people, uh, predominantly in the Middle East, as well as in South Asia. And to me, this is, um, uh, able, we're able to then minister to people, especially non-believers, but also to believers in the name of Jesus. We're, we're actually showing the love of Christ. We're being his hands extended. And then that opens the heart to be able to hear the words of Christ, you know, and indeed this, this pandemic from the outside looks terrible. I mean, many people have suffered, but I just came back from Lebanon uh, where we were able to provide uh, food and hygiene care packages to tens of thousands of people. We had started two medical clinics there and many more people are indeed suffering. But what I did is, work with my local ministry partners, pastors and leaders, and uh, they were able to distribute food and hygiene and medical care in the name of Christ. And refugees, even the local Lebanese, seeing this, they're, they were touched by this. Here they're fleeing from war, they're fleeing from uh, ISIS and, and uh, um, religious war and here are these people who are supposed to be their enemies, who are supposed to be these infidels. They're providing all this help freely with no strings attached. You know, why are you doing this? Well, it's the love of Christ, the love of Jesus. And that's opened up their hearts to hearing more about the gospel. I've met just on this last trip quite a few people who talked about that and how they were just amazed at the love uh, that they were receiving, even though in theory they're supposed to be enemies. In fact, uh, several uh, women said how the more they came to know who Jesus was, the more they they wanted Jesus. They didn't really even care, even if the the food were to stop. Uh, it didn't matter to them. The spiritual was even more important to them. So. This holistic ministry allows us, especially in the non-Christian art world, to be able to minister and have this platform to minister. Um, yeah. Going back. Yeah. Sorry. I, I love, uh, sorry for cutting you. I love the phrase you, uh, or the, the term you're using is holistic ministry. I know that the word holistic has been used uh, often in many different fields, especially like holistic uh, health remedies and those kind of things. And it's, it has somewhat, um, if not negative, not, not, not good, good um, connotation either. But I, 
I love how you are bringing this holistic aspect in this uh, ministry. So my question to you would be, uh, um, we are uh, already ran out of time. I, I would love to have uh, a full season with WCF, just hearing about how uh, you guys are bringing relief to the persecuted church, relief to the uh, in the Middle East, relief to uh, people who are uh, marginalized. I would love to hear that. Um, but as I close, I want to hear a joke. So please tell me a joke. A joke? <laughs> I know. Um, I know you're a serious person doing a lot of serious stuff. So in the midst of that, we got to hear some jokes. You know, the funny thing is, I joke around a lot, but it's not like I can say, well, you know, there was a Korean and a Pakistani that walked into a, a restaurant. I don't have that type of a joke. Um, wow, for the first time, I'm pretty speechless. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my job, right? I Eventually, I have to bring everybody to their finest moment when they find themselves like, oh, man. I don't have words. Okay, so I have another proposition. How about a song? Oh, a song. Um, you, I know I'm part of Brooklyn Tabernacle, but I don't sing at all. In fact, I, I tell people that all the time. I guess that's my joke. Um, but my favorite song is Amazing Grace. Uh, Go ahead, give me the first, just one phrase. <clears throat> you don't need to sing all. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Thank you so much. So here you have it. Um, so I'll see you all next week with a new guest. Until then, God bless you all. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.